Well, I'm thrilled to welcome you uh, this Father's Day to Cottondale Baptist Church. And this morning, I want to speak about honoring fatherhood. Honoring fatherhood. But I'd like us to pray together one more time before we get started. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity and privilege to minister your word this morning. And I just pray, Lord, that we would see fatherhood as you have designed it to be, as you have given it to us. And Lord, uh, the fathers among us, and not just spiritual, I mean biological, but spiritual fathers, we all have a role in pointing others to Christ, Lord. That's the essence of fatherhood. And so I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be warmed and encouraged and strengthened, God, in the privilege that we have, Lord, to hold one another up in Christ. And so bless us, bless all the fathers this morning, and bless now the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and um, by means of introduction, this morning, I've shown this picture before, but it's especially appropriate today, so Wayne, I want you to hit that picture for me. I, I, I really do think that that says it all, right there. Um... People, people are, they're watching. Our children are watching. And, you know, children don't know, you know, like, like I don't know what I'm doing. They don't know what they're doing. We, we look to those ahead of us and we follow. And, of course, it's all of us fathers or people are looking up to us and they follow. The question is, what are they following? And what we're going to see this morning is that fatherhood is a high privilege, a high calling, a high responsibility that we should indeed honor and treat honorably because that's how God designed it and because much is at stake. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, honoring fatherhood. And now I invite you, if you're able and willing, to stand in honor of the reading of God's word from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're, we're just going to pick up in verse 8, and Paul here is actually just discussing his love and care for the Thessalonians as both a mother and a father in the same passage, but we're going to be focusing on fathers especially this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, Paul says, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 
the word of God. You may be seated. We're going to come back to that passage at the end of our sermon. But today I want to look at three truths concerning fatherhood. Three truths concerning fatherhood. Number one, fatherhood is man's honorable gift. Number two, fatherhood is God's honorable prerogative. And number three, fatherhood is our honorable spiritual privilege. So again, fatherhood is man's honorable gift, it's God's honorable prerogative, and it is our honorable spiritual privilege. But first, fatherhood is man's honorable gift. When I say that fatherhood is man's honorable gift, I mean a number of things. First, I mean that the position of fatherhood itself is an honorable position. That is, that it, along with motherhood, of course, is a position given by God that is worthy of honor. Let me read you a few passages. Exodus twenty twelve, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Exodus twenty one fifteen. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Exodus 21, 17. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Leviticus 19, 3. Every one of you shall revere his mother and father, and you shall keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. What we see in this passage in these passages is that God ordained parenting. He ordained fatherhood as an honorable position that was to be regarded so by the children and to dishonor what God has made honorable was a, was a great, a capital crime during the days of Israel. Because the the father represented the most fundamental and stabling and securing forces within the society, the honoring of one's father. Because if you can't respect your own father, how will you respect any other good and proper authority? And so God has so ordered the family and human society such that fatherhood is an inherently honorable position, a position worthy of honor. It is just one instance of God's broader wisdom in creating and ordaining good structures of authority within family and within society. And this is important today because people tend to look askance at authority. They tend to gaze at authority with squinty eyes. We have a natural distrust of authority. And of course, this isn't just the problem today. The first sin... The primordial sin began with a distrust of God's authority, of God's word. Did God actually say? Surely God didn't mean it. It's just a bite of fruit. And we begin to look squinty-eyed at God's authority. And, of course, if you think about it, the fact that our sin nature rails against it and, part, and real, real part of the devil's great genius in getting us 
to look askance at authority and even the authority of our own parents. Part of the devil's genius in it is that if you can't find it in in yourself to respect proper human authorities, including your own parents, whom you can see, how then will you learn to respect God's authority who you can't see? And if you can't learn to respect God's authority, you cannot be saved. Because the essence and heart of reality, and especially of Christianity, is that God's the Father. He's the boss. He's the authority. But we as Christians then should uphold God's created order of authority as good. We should uphold fatherhood and motherhood as divinely instituted positions of honor. And fatherhood especially bears a unique weight as, as the husband and father is the one primarily and ultimately accountable to God for the direction in which the family takes. From what we can read from the creation account, God told Adam not to eat of the fruit, and then he created Eve. So Adam was supposed to instruct his family according to the word of God. Eve is the one who was deceived. They hide in the garden. God comes looking for them, and who does he look for? Adam, where are you? Where are you? We're the ones ultimately accountable for the direction that the family takes. The weight, the weight of the final decisions and directions and culture and climate of our household rests on the shoulders of the husband and the father. And we're the ones who will give an account to God before that, for that. We as Christians must be careful to honor the position of fatherhood. It is no small thing. Like we talked about uh, on Mother's Day, fathers play a huge role in shaping the character of the next generation. And the character and consistency of our fathers is, is what's going to, is the only thing that can cultivate that in the next generation. And the sociological evidence bears it out. I mean, time after time again, they all say the same things. That one of the greatest tragedies that can ever befall a household is an absent or inactive father. And we as Christians, we understand why, and that is because God has designed it that way. He has designed it that way, that there is an inherent, built-in general inclination of the household to look to the father's leadership and to not lead is to lead in the wrong direction. And so we have a responsibility to shape the direction, to cultivate our homes for the glory of God. We as the Christian church must win back the honorability of fatherhood. We must exalt it as good and glorious and right and not be ashamed of it. In in, in years gone by, on TV shows and in sitcoms and and things like that, the father is presented as kind of like the dumb, ignorant one who the wife's always got to follow after picking up his mess. Right? You know what I'm talking about? And all he wants to do is drink beer and smoke on the grill and go golfing. Totally absent from the life of the family. And that was on TV and that was 30 years ago. And now we have TV shows and most of the time, if there's a family involved, the dad's not even there. He's not even in the entire show. That is a farce and a defilement of the honorable position of fatherhood. 
that we must win back and take back for the glory of God. We read, we read children's books to our kids. You know how many children's books in, involve a mother and her children? You know how many children's books are written about a father and his children? Go look. They're hard to find. Something's broken in our culture, in our society. Something's not right. We must learn to champion fatherhood. Let us honor our fathers. Let us honor this great position of fatherhood. And, if, and of course, if God has commanded our children to honor us as father, then let us as fathers in due measure fulfill our calling honorably by being there. By showing up, by leading, by pointing, by having the hard conversations, by making wise decisions, by saying yes when we can and saying no when we must. By speaking biblical truth and the gospel into the lives of our household and into the culture of our home, that's our job. It is a great honor to be a father. It's a great honor. Be a father. The second thing I mean by saying fatherhood is an honorable gift is that it is indeed a gift. It's a gift. It is a position of authority and responsibility within the home that is not earned, but it is given by God to the father, to the man, to the husband. It is a gift. And as such, since it is a gift, it is a gift that must be stewarded well. How, you know, Paul rebuked rebuke the church. How can you boast in that, in that which you've received? You can't brag about something you didn't earn. No one deserves to be a father. It's a gift. It's a stewardship and trust you by God. Therefore, you better take care of it. You better steward it well. I think about the parable of the talents in which the, the wise and gracious master distributes to his servants varying amounts according to his wisdom and according to their ability. And at the master's return, the servants then give an account for what the master entrusted to them. And in the same way, being a father is an in, endowment and entrustment by God. And we will have to give an account for this privilege, this stewardship. And I want to be able to say, Lord, you gave me, what, you gave me two talents and here I have two talents more with what you gave me. I want to be able to say that. And I want to hear these words. Well done. Good and faithful servant. <clears throat> and on this note, I want to say a couple things to our, our fathers in, in various degrees, various stages. Whether you're in the thick of it, whether you have small children, older children, whether your children are out of the house, you have great-grandchildren, great great-grandchildren. A few things worth saying. Number one, <clears throat> fathering is hard. <laughs> I think it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done, ever tried to do. I'm serious. 
not, and I'm not talking about because, you know, kids are rambunctious and they're exhausting. I'm just talking about the responsibility of shepherding their hearts and minds and consciences in a world that is vying for their minds, trying to take them captive to sin. And it's hard. It's hard to know what's right to do. It's hard to be consistent in discipline and in love. It's hard to know always the right thing to do. It's hard. Second thing is this. For us all, for all of us fathers and for all people in general. No one's a no one's a perfect father. No one has been a perfect father. No one will be a perfect father except God. But the difference that should take place between a Christian father and a non-Christian father is that when we mess up, we need to own it. You want to make an impact on your children? Don't don't be the perfect dad because you can't be. Be a repentant dad. And tell them, hey, I messed up. And you can do this at any age. In fact, maybe the one thing your grown child needs to hear is, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't do what I could have done. I'm sorry. And the third thing related to that is this. Is cast yourself on God's mercy. Cast yourself on God's mercy. The past cannot be changed, but God has a wonderful track record of making masterpieces out of messes. And so whatever you can do now to be a better husband and father, do it. Don't be paralyzed by your past failures and thinking, oh, there's nothing that I can do. That's a lie from the devil. Do what you can now in obedience to God. In love for God and love for your children to make a difference. Regardless of how things have gone in the past. Do what you can now in faith in Christ and love for him. And trust God's mercy and forgiveness over your failures as you repent of them. So number one, fatherhood is man's honorable gift. Number two, fatherhood is God's honorable prerogative. Fatherhood is God's honorable prerogative. What I mean by that is that God is the preeminent father. He is the father who shares the goodness of fatherhood with us, his creatures. It's interesting, in Matthew chap- uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it, it repeats briefly the creation account. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image. And named him Seth. You see what's astounding about that? is that the language after his likeness and in his image is the same way that it says that God made us after him. And so in a real sense, God is, in a profound way, God is sharing through the, the producing of offspring and children, he is sharing his creative prerogative, in, in a sense his creative power with us as Parents as fathers in multiplying God's own image through our offspring. He is sharing 
the privilege and really the thing that belongs to God alone, he is sharing it with us. That we produce after our own image in the image of God. And since all fatherhood flows from God and God is the preeminent father, to understand ourselves rightly and to understand fatherhood correctly, we must first understand how God is a father to us. So I just want to discuss that briefly. First thing we need to make, understand is that God is our father through creation. God is our father through creation. Deuteronomy 32 says, They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? You see, he's rebuking a rebellious Israel there. And, and one of the bases of, his, of the rebuke is, why are you treating your father like this? Why are you treating your father like this? He made us. He created us. We are his children by virtue of his creation. He is our father by virtue of his sovereign creation. And since God is our father through creation, that means several significant things. First, it means that we as human beings have inestimable value and worth because we were personally, individually made by God for God. We matter to God. God made, There's no such thing as an insignificant life. And that's why, if you think about it, that's why sin is so serious. That's why, in, as part of the Noahic covenant, after the flood, God tells Noah, if, if man sheds another man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? Because he has profaned the image of God. So when you sin against people, you're not just sinning against other people, you're sinning against God, because every man bears God's image. And so, and so, Every human being is of inestimable value and worth because we're personally, individually made by God. We exist because God wanted us to exist. We are all so much alike because we all share in God's image. But at the same time, we're also utterly unique because God designed it that way. And the differences that have come from God are good. Are good. Everyone's different. If you're a parent, you realize it kind of begins to shock you how different your children are, and you kind of think you raised them the same way, and then you realize that you know that that, that helps some, but it's not a lot. They're just different. They're just wired differently. They just think differently. They just act differently because God made them like that. And so, one of the things we can learn from fathering and parenting about this is appreciating the unique and different ways that God made our children. And seeking to cultivate the best that is within each of them and spurring them on in their God-given talents and passions that they might exercise them for the glory of God, even if those passions are different from yours. Secondly, by virtue of creation, it means that God as Father is, God is the boss. He's the boss. He's the authority. He's the father. Just as he has instituted fatherhood as the authority within the home, it is just only a reflection of his authority over us as our father. God has ordered things such that 
that which comes first has both greater authority and responsibility. Since God is before all things and he is thus he and thus he is preeminent and Lord over all things. Just as Paul says that the husband and father bears the weight of the authority of the family because man was created first and then woman reflecting God's created order. So God as father means God as boss. God as Lord. And if we're to honor our earthly fathers and mothers, how much more are we to honor our heavenly father? He is perfectly wise and fulfills his fatherhood with perfect love, perfect wisdom, perfect discipline, perfect consistency, perfect faithfulness. It is a great tragedy, and uh, I've seen it. Uh, In fact, there's a recent example in my head I can think of right now of the difficulty that some people have of relating to God as Father because of the hard relationship they had with their earthly fathers. But this authority in God's economy, this kind of authority that God has, the way God exercises his authority is not merely... um, You know, God's not capricious. He's not just here pulling strings on whims. God exercises his authority for his glory and for our good. And in the same way, the authority he bestows upon earthly fathers is something to be stewarded. Not for personal pleasure, but for the good of those who are led. We learn this preeminently through Jesus Christ, who is perfectly obedient to his Father. Who describes himself as our Master and Lord. Who who though he had in himself all authority in heaven and on earth, and he laid down his life for his people. And so that is fatherhood. That is the biblical exercise of authority, wielding all of one's authority as the head of the household for the eternal good of the family, even at great personal cost. Another thing we can learn from the fatherhood of God, the way God has loved us and so we can learn from his fatherhood, is the wielding of our authority to say no. There are some extremes we must beware. One extreme is the extreme of domineering over one's family rather than laying down your life for them. That is common, but there's another thing that's very common too. It's the opposite extreme, which is becoming totally passive. And rather than leading your home, you become a follower of the whims of the others in the household. Your children have lots of friends. They don't need another friend. They need a father. They need a father. They need someone who has loved them and been there for them and played with them and love them and care for them so that when the time comes to say no, the child knows that the no is a no of love and compassion and mercy. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Paul says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, he, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
God loved Paul. Paul knew that God loved him. And God said no. God said no. Sometimes the most loving thing you can tell to your your children is no. We won't do that. We We won't go there. We say no to disrespect. We say no to disobedience. We say no to laziness. We say no to distracting things like smartphones and the internet and friends and other influences that your children may not be ready, ready for and ready to handle. And that may expose them to unhelpful and ungodly things. We don't just do things because everyone else is doing it. You're the father. Lead. Lead. Say no to things that distract your kids. That keep you out of the, the Lord's house on the Lord's day. Say no to things that will keep your kids out of heaven. Say yes to things that will make them treasure Christ and live for him and find their greatest joy and and glory in him forever in heaven. Shepherd the hearts. Shepherd their hearts. Be passionate about Christ because what you are passionate about is what they're going to think is important. And if you consistently... Consistently do things and neglect things that show that, the, that Christianity takes a back seat in your life. Well, guess what? It's going to take less than a back seat in theirs. That's how it always works. And the final thing I want to say here about having God as our Father is that if you want to fulfill your responsibility as a physical and spiritual fathers to others well then our hope, our only hope, is to cast ourselves fully on God as our Father. That's our only hope. I said, fathering is hard. Don't you know? It's hard. No one does it. I mean, no one really does it well. It's just a a big mess. But this is what Jesus said in Matthew 7. He says, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You say, I, I'm, I'm a mess. I can't be a good father. Well, good. You're in the right place. Ask God, who is your Father, to give you strength and help and grace to be better than you are. And guess what? If you know how to give good things to your children, doesn't God, your Father, know how to give good things to you? Whoever asks, receives, whoever seeks, finds. When you acknowledge your need for God and you cry out to Him for it, He's going to hear. And He's going to listen. And He's going to help you. He's going to help us. He's going to help us in our fathering. That's the amazing thing about grace is that God doesn't leave us to ourselves. He empowers us by the power of the Holy Spirit to turn, to change, to be better than we could ever possibly be on our own by God's help and by God's strength. And so number one, fatherhood is man's honorable gift. Number two, fatherhood is God's honorable gift. Prerogative and number three, fatherhood is our honorable 
spiritual privilege. Concluding thing I want to say that is very important is that biological fatherhood only exists and points to a greater spiritual reality, and that is spiritual fatherhood. We know that biological fatherhood isn't ultimate because Jesus was never a father. And yet, you know, he said, you know, these are my fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers. He looked, he looked about and everyone who received the word of God and who believed it, that was his child. You don't have to be a biological father to be a father. The goal of every Christian father is not merely to have children, but to make disciples of Christ of his children. And so that is really the only type of fatherhood that matters because it's the only type of fatherhood that will last forever, and we can all do that. Have you ever thought about every, every interaction that we have with somebody is either pointing them further or closer to Christ, further away or closer to Christ? Every interaction. And every time we steward an interaction with somebody else in a way to point them to Christ, we're fulfilling the role of a father and shepherding someone's heart in the direction they should go. That's what Paul said in our text that we read at the beginning of the passage. We're all fathers to someone. We're all helping or hindering someone's relationship to Christ. Paul viewed the Thessalonians as his spiritual children. And what I want to do now briefly is to just run quickly through that text and just draw some points about fatherhood from that passage about spiritual fatherhood in that first Thessalonians two passage in verse beginning verse eight. He says, Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. You see, Paul loved them. I mean when you 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 love people, you know when you love people you want to give yourself to them. And that's what love is. It's self-giving. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. Love is self-giving. It is the giving of yourself for the good of others. And that's what Paul wanted to do. And that's the heart of fatherhood. It's sacrificial self-giving. It's earnest affection for the eternal good of others. And then in verse 9, Paul says, You remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. I think it's just amazing. That's what what a father does. He works. He he works. And he he bears the weight of burdens on himself so that his children don't have to. That's what a father does. That's what a Christian does. We lift. We're burden lifters. We see burdens, and rather than pawning them off on other people, we say, I'm going to put that on my shoulder so that you don't have to. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to pick this up for my, for my children so they don't have to bear it. I'm going to work. I'm going to labor. I'm going to toil. To proclaim the gospel of God to them. If there is an obstacle... If there is an obstacle standing in the way between others and Christ, between our children and Christ, we're going to do all that we can to lift that obstacle, to pick it up and move it out the way. Verse 10 there, Paul says, You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you, towards you believers. This is the next 
thing about fatherhood is that we must walk in holy character. Right? God is perfectly holy. He's holy, holy, holy. Jesus Christ was without sin. If we're going to model them and reflect them and reflect God's character, we must model in the home godliness, holiness, and integrity. It's key because... Because truth and reality and, and what's real to you, is, it's much more caught than it is taught. Children will know what you value and what you treasure by how you live your life. And if you want to ruin a child for the gospel, then live one way in public, but they know you live a different way at home. But if we want to adorn the beauty of the gospel, then let them see daddy be a man of integrity at the house and in public. And that makes a huge difference. The do as I say, not as I do model of fatherhood doesn't work in biological parenting and certainly doesn't work in spiritual parenting. We must model, live, adorn the truth of the gospel with holiness of our lives. And that's what truly teaches. And that's the thing, is that that's what people are looking for. In many cases and in many situations, if just one person would have stood up and said something all the other people would have fallen but there's no man there to be found you know in ezekiel god said i was look for a watchman one person they're breaching the wall one person to stand in the gap and i found none but there's in that person in our homes that should be us that one person to say i love you son but no we're not going there we're not doing that we're not watching that We're not going to miss this. One person to stand up and let your kids see you walk in integrity and consistency. And finally, in verse 11, he says, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And that is the heart of fatherhood, isn't it? People always talk about the dad lecture. Nobody wants the dad lecture. Well... You're going to get it, because that's what dads do. We exhort, and we encourage, and we charge. That's what the text says. We, we, we tell our kids in love, we say, we're going to do this. We're not going to do this. You need to live this way. You need to walk worthy of the gospel. We plead with our children to walk worthy of the gospel, who's calling us, into his own kingdom and glory. And so what we see is that fatherhood is man's honorable gift. It's God's honorable prerogative. And it is our honorable spiritual privilege. And to the question we ask to all is this. Who, who's your children? Not, I'm not just talking biological children. Who's your children? Who are you pointing to Christ? Who are you leading in righteousness, who are you modeling holiness and integrity before? Pursue them. Pursue them. Be present. Be intentional. Reach out. Spend time. Integrate your life into their life. Be there. Lead. God, shepherd. Point to Christ all for the glory of God. And all of this is possible, and it's only possible. Because through Christ, God is our Father. And through him, we have the Spirit which has been poured into our hearts by which we can cry out to God, Abba, Father.
And all of this only makes sense in view of that reality that God is our Father. And perhaps this morning, perhaps you came this morning and deep down in your heart of hearts, you know that God really isn't your Father. The good news I have to tell you this morning is this. God's in the business of adopting children into his family. And if you will come to him today through his son, Jesus, and say, Lord, I accept your son. I believe in your son whom you have given for me, who lived, who died, who rose from the dead. I believe in him. I trust in him. If you come to God through his beloved son, Jesus, then God himself will call you his own son, his own daughter as well. I pray that you might come to the family this morning. Let's pray. Thank you for this opportunity, my Lord. Thank you for the privilege of fatherhood. And thank you for all these, all these men in here this morning, biological and spiritual fathers. I pray that we all guard God with united.